Heidi ho ladies and gents, and welcome to the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me each week is one real ace, Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? Oh, and I was so close to running the table, Matt. Tonight's <laughs> episode of Agent Carter, number 104, the Blitzkrieg button, is brought to us by Carol's Chicken Pocket. Soon coming with a space to keep your pickles. Pick one up today. You know, I think I was reading about that in the New York Bulletin when I was getting my shoes signed yesterday. Seated, I'm sure, next to a nonagenarian. Yes, although he looked like he could be as young as an octogenarian. News of the In this segment, we run down the top stories of the episode and give you the latest and the greatest and the need to know. Pete, where do we start? We begin in a train yard. There is a, uh, a tense negotiation going down. A package is being uh, purchased. Jarvis is there. He's throwing uh, crisp $1,000 bills around that his, uh, <clears throat> his business partners aren't even sure are legal. Uh, working on behalf of Mr. Mink. Um, meanwhile, one of the thugs uh, heads into the darkness, not quite sure what's going on. And of course, it's Peggy Carter. Uh, we learn Mr. Mink doesn't smuggle into the country for free. And uh, before long, Jarvis is employing a button on the briefcase. Uh, this is ransom money that is... Uh, being uh haggled over there's gas a punch and uh hopefully the package is intact matt the package the package of course is howard stark who's only a iron door away as he plays pool it's a really fun opening to this pete uh one uh little gem that you didn't mention was that there's kind of the the third baddie a lookout i assume who's Throwing a ball against the wall, and we're kind That's of intercutting. That's exactly who I mentioned. <laughs> you did? I did. I was oh. talking about heading into the darkness there. Yes, I was. Wait, but you, my point is you mentioned his ball throwing, and there's oh. kind of this rhythmic ba-bump, ba-bump, and all of a sudden it's bump. And it, it, we kind of uh, – I didn't know certainly that it was Peggy to the rescue quite yet, but you kind of clearly know someone's there. Um, and then I guess – ooh, my brain just clicked into, into spot here – Beginning a theme, perhaps, of spherical objects, uh, back to Howard Stark, who uh, has been playing pool and uses a pool ball to uh, retake down uh, primary baddie number one, uh, who uh, has woken from his punch and now uh, now is trying to stop the rescue of Howard Stark. It's what we call in the trade, Matt, a motif. Ah, the mo so this this episode has a motif of of balls. You're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, Peggy, uh, Stark and Jarvis reunited. Stark is full of quips, wants to know if Peggy has tried, um, Jarvis's wife's goulash, whether Jarvis knows that Peggy can do 107 one-arm pushups. But before we get too cute, we find out that agents are staking out one of Stark's 
least known properties. Yes, just, force, go ahead. I was just going to say just known by Lana Turner and a bevy of other ladies. The, <laughs> the implication there quite clear and uh, also unclear to Stark why, you know, you might have uh, jilted ladies or just uh, how about patriotic ladies that when the police come, you know, come calling, hey, have you ever seen Howard Stark? They'll say, sure, there's this, you know, such and such uh, place in uh, in Midtown and uh, never occurs to him that they would dare uh, dare whisper about any of the secrets that happened uh, in his uh, one of his safe houses. His boudoir. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so the Griffin it is. They head there and uh, it's not a secret to Stark. He wants to know how Miriam is. <laughs> um, he sneaks in. They go to stuff him in the, uh, the dumb waiter there. And of course the... Uh, the house mother, Miss Fry, shows up and nearly catches Stark sneaking around. Um, meanwhile, uh, the chief and uh, Agent Thompson are looking through a redacted file. has to do with uh, Russians who died at Finau and how they have shown up um, in the case of our uh, not... Uh, deaf but uh not speaking um mute yeah mute bad guys of a couple weeks ago a couple episodes ago um he puts thompson in charge as uh chief dooley is headed abroad um and then miss fry asks uh peggy if she's ever heard of the id and the ego which she says of course they're children's characters <laughs> <laughs> because knowledge of Freud is strictly forbidden at the Griffith, or as you might also know it, uh, a time forgotten. <laughs> Pete, part of what's so fun about these two scenes with Miss Fry is, I mean, of course it's her school marmishness, but they kind of add a little, um, a little meat on her, you know, boogity boogity skeleton here. She starts out in that first scene kind of in the, you know, in the laundry area where, by the way, not once but twice, there's an out of focus brassiere quite close to the camera. Uh, I, I don't know if they, it's like they want you to both notice it, but they're like, well, we didn't put it on. It's not like right in front of the camera there uh, or it's not in focus. So I don't know. Um, but in, in that first scene, Miss Fry's showing genuine concern. You know, you're up to no good. Oh, oh is it because, you know these strange hours that you work you're out to all you know what you're coming from you know places that aren't work i know it's not work related it's a weird sort of concern but it is a, it is a concern and that's continued in um in her lecture where she starts talking about how these young women you know peggy carter's probably what like 28 or something how young women have these ungovernable urges and uh you know they need someone such as herself uh miss fry that is to to protect them again kind of coming from a place of good but we're all watching this going yeah make your decisions ladies definitely um the the laundry here and before that uh you know gag plays out there's just a bag in the dumb waiter stark has uh, wiggled out ms fry uh is told good night by peggy but of course it's already 6 a.m and really a another recurrent idea within this episode that the hours that peggy carter is keeping she is the hardest working character in this story I completely agree, and I felt like for all the concerns that I had two weeks ago when episode 103 aired, 
um, in terms of, you know, Peggy hiding her abilities and whatnot. This is an episode where she still is hiding them, but I feel like there was a better job of, well, frankly, of showing, yes, how hard she's working. We are we are appreciating her, even if those around her are not, um, in in a way that feel felt somehow a little bit different, and, and I felt it was a little bit better presented. Definitely. Um, I think the writing, you know, four episodes deep here is coming into its own. Um, no sooner does Peggy go looking for Howard than uh, she hears the girl giggling and, of course, opens up the door there. And uh, there he is. Complete with uh, some lipstick that's uh, been left upon his cheek. Yeah. Um, act two. There's no room service at the Griffith, so uh, with Howard bound for Rio in three days, he needs to know which of his inventions Peggy has recovered to this point um, before he's going to send her down for some uh, some eats a little later on in the episode when that plays through, which I thought was a great gag. <laughs> um, don't forget, though, he also shows off that camera pen, which is... A genuinely neat invention. I mean, I know it's kind of passe nowadays and, you know, the notion of a USB camera and all that is uh, is rather old hat. But it was kind of genuinely impressive spy tech for 1946 and uh, obviously can be used later in the episode as well. Um, so it also kind of has story purpose in terms of him saying, here is a prop. Now go use it in the course of the story. Did he take a penny of Peggy? Uh, I hope not. I hope he doesn't post it on his wall, by which I mean his literal wall. <laughs> um, with Thompson left in charge, he gives the whole, you know, I'm the tough guy speech. Says, go make kissy noises to your wives and uh, we're getting ready to crack some heads here. Agents. It and was Peggy, you go get the lunch order again. Absolutely. Her her job, the lunch order. Um, I, th- I think that the show is still trying to, the, uh, let me, let me take that back. The show spent time in this episode, really defining who Thompson is. I think once and for all part in this episode, part in this scene. And then in a scene we'll talk about later on, it was a, it was a, it was a good, um, presentation of the character when he comes out and gives this speech. Um, he certainly has not been left in charge to just warm the seat he has been, yeah, I mean, I, I believe Pete, and correct me if I'm wrong, when uh, when the chief leaves, Thompson says, you know, goodbye, chief. And uh, the chief's response to Thompson is, chief. goodbye, chief, right back. Yeah. Um, so there really is that authority of, you know, obviously don't, you know, wreck the joint, but go run it. Go run this thing while I'm gone, whether it's for one day, one week, or I don't come back because something strange happens. So for him to give that speech, I think it was a good rah-rah speech. I think that on the heels of what we can assume was a day or two ago when Kresminski died and everyone kind of has dried their tears, now is the time to kind of say, all right, well, we had the moment of silence a day or two ago. Now let's go kick some butt. Let's start really doing this. Um, so it kind of elevated the character in that regard um, <laughs> with the immediate slight deflating of, and Peggy, lunch orders. Well, I can tell you that uh, next week is a really big week for uh, Chad Michael Murray's Agent Thompson. Wow. Yeah. Is he going to play basketball in North Carolina? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Sousa, meanwhile, who uh, Thompson says with Kresminski dead is uh, the SSR's biggest yo-yo. Uh, you know, he's still trying to use his unique way in um, with some of the characters we encounter. Before that, Peggy winds up in the lab with a scientist where she's taking all those pen photos. I thought it was a, a pretty funny gag with uh, the one device that apparently melted uh, glasses. I'm not On quite his sure face, whether no that was intended effect. And then, of course, a blue flame sparks in the other room. I think first there was a green flame, then a blue flame, which made it even more the funny, uh, more yeah. funny to me. Um, slight production quibble, but I know why they did it in this scene. The clicking of her pen was loud enough that he should have heard it, but they need to have the clicking so people at home know she's taking the pictures. It's one of these like catch 22s where probably after a 45 minute discussion in the editor's room where they're talking about the level of the sound, they're like, what are we doing talking about the sound of the the clicking here? Just go with, you know, pick something and go. But again, it's one of those things where it was like, it took me out of it. And I was like, oh, but they have to do it. Because otherwise we're going to be like, is she taking picture? What is she? Did she not? So just wanted to point that out. Sousa heads down to the pier. He is still chasing this mystery woman from the early episodes um, and winds up questioning a couple of... Uh, what do we want to call them, Matt, politely in this time frame? I think Vagrants? we can call them bums. They're kind of bums. <laughs> They're just bumming Street around. urchins. <laughs> Pardon me, sir. <laughs> can I go get the turkey for Christmas Day? Yeah. I think we can just call them bums. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we're not a kind of understanding, you know, PTSD and whatnot. It's just kind of like, ah, you bums. Yeah. Sousa tries to get on their game. Uh the one mouthy one says that he can keep the money. I don't play games with police. And uh, then of course, Sousa on one leg floors the other gentleman. And I thought that it was such a triumphant moment where Sousa takes the, uh, takes that metal crutch and uses it to hold this guy down to press it against his throat. Uh, a reminder that uh, the, the differently abled and the differently powered are uh, you know have uh, potential and are powerful nonetheless. We get a scene of a couple of our toughs from the beginning of the episode explaining to the aforementioned Mister Mink that they was hoodwinked. There was a dame and six or seven guys. Wait, 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 wasn't it? It was like there was five or six. No, six or oh, seven. I wrote where he ultimately ended up. <laughs> <laughs> um. He pulls out his uh, fancy uh, Gatling pistol there, asks the woman's name after uh, killing the one uh, tough. He gets Peggy and that the uh, the time for money has passed. No, he'll take care of it. And he kills the other one in cold blood there. And with that, they both learn what happens when you say, here's Mink. And then the act break. Wow. <laughs> Act three's on with uh, Howard not being in the apartment. He's back with uh, the blonde, uh, Helen. Um, he explains that uh, his cousin is Peggy. Uh, she's not really happy, though, Peggy. She's pretty disgusted uh, about this whole thing. Um, Sousa, meanwhile, has... Uh, uh, they think he might have found Stark when he brings in the uh, the bum. All right. Uh, but he explains that 
the uh, the bum may have seen something. We get a scene in a dark room where they're developing the uh, the pen camera um, photos, and uh, Angie comes along, telling him it's time for dinner. This was an act where it was like, cut to something happens, yes. cut to. Cut to quick little update. Cut to quick little. I mean, my notes is little. Cut to cut to cut. Yeah. To. Uh, and I mean, I don't know whether I should be critical or not. I mean, it, it, for Peggy to come home and find Stark doing the lay down boogaloo with the lady neighbor, I mean, that's an important, if not comical, update on the character. It's kind of a one note joke, but it's a funny one. Um, certainly, Sousa bringing the bum important. Thompson that scene dismisses it. It, it was just odd pacing. Like, could we stick with Peggy comes home, find Stark, they develop the film, leave for dinner. Then back at the office, you know, Sousa Thompson talking to the bum, then Sousa interviews him. I don't know quite why they did it that way. Um, it didn't, in consuming it, it didn't kind of bother me. But in note taking, it was kind of like, oh, we're not sticking around developing much or we're developing multiple things in multiple scenes so just a slight kind of odd shape to all this i i you know while it didn't really call for it i thought you got a little bit of a sense of urgency when we're in the interrogation room and you know um susa is explaining the story about getting the applause in the diner and you know the the emphasis on others guilt and trying to use his good heart and his, you know, interrogative skills to get the nugget of information this guy may or may not have, um, you know, only to run into, you know, listen, <laughs> uh, I, I still don't talk to cops, even pathetic ones. You know, Thompson is proven right. You know, he, he comes in with the with the beer, the burger. He, he gets it done there. So we've seen that he can be an effective agent. Just didn't work out for Sousa in this particular um, instance. Um, Dooley, meanwhile, uh, in Nuremberg for his Nazi. And, uh, you know, Sousa is trying to get this, uh, this bum to break. And it just won't happen. We cut into the uh, the dining hall there at uh, the Griffith, and talk of the chicken pocket. Make one that holds pickles, will you? Already, I thought it was uh, some some great humor there. <clears throat> Howard, of course, wants ham, and uh, you know all these other things. And then, of course, Peggy can surprise him. Absolutely, Pete, in this scene, Peggy, absolutely wonderful. She's a Lady Gaga to get that food because she's trying to go bluffing with those muffins. And she takes them up to Stark. The act, of course, ends with Howard explaining that he needs to, or needs Peggy, rather, to steal one of his inventions back. Pete, at this point, uh, people who know the title as they're watching the episode might assume that this is the aforementioned Blitzkrieg button. But then, of course, the new act starts. Um, every one of Stark's inventions to this point that's been discussed is a device of large-scale destruction. The blackout button, however, the blitzkrieg that it brings uh, only eliminates power. They wanted something a little bit more surgical. 
Thompson, uh, with his burger and his beer, gets our uh, bum to explain that he saw a guy and a woman who's dark-haired uh, from far away, and he hid when the cops came. By the way, that, Pete, for, for as much as I could go for a burger and a brew, I believe it was a burger and whiskey, not just any whiskey, the Chief's whiskey. Ooh. Yeah, but we learn here that not everybody came back from the war wanting a hug is the <laughs> is the lesson. Which was a great line. It was. This was a an episode that had great plotting, great dialogue, great structure. This, this was a well-written episode. It was. Dooley, meanwhile, in Nuremberg Prison in Germany, is uh, chatting up a uh, Nazi colonel about the Battle of Finau. Meanwhile, Peggy and Jarvis in the car. Um, and Matt, let's hope that uh, Jarvis is as good with his turn signal as he is with his tells. Um, letting Peggy know that the uh, Blitzkrieg button is not to be messed with. I thought that in this scene... The writers perhaps had uh, their finger a bit heavy on the telegraph button. Um, when he did his tell back at the at the teaser act, I thought that perhaps it was a uh, you know a signal to Peggy who he saw coming. Um, here, in order to get the audience to understand that it's not just a character affectation or he, you know he has an itchy earlobe, I, I felt like they did it kind of one too many times where it's like close up on the ear, close up on Peggy. Peggy realizes. Um, you know that's that's uh that's how it goes i suppose but pete just want to mention something from the previous scene there as the chief talks to mueller uh the the offer is not just hey give me information because you're going to die in two days it's uh he offers a trade for a breakout uh you know to, a way out uh, if uh, Mueller gives the information, which immediately had me wondering, oh, there's going to be a lengthy Hydra conspiracy here that the show is going to develop <laughs> for the next four and a half episodes. Well, with the reveal of the uh, what seems at that point is a cyanide capsule, um, you know, we find out there was no battle at Finau. They arrived. They found a massacre. There were bodies piled high um, and whoever did it was long gone. And then we find out that uh, the chief, he really keeps breath mints inside his watch. Which was a fantastic little moment. And the show, the show just gave the audience two seconds to kind of let that breathe for both the joke and then the, the actual darkness of it. Which is, oh no, the chief is going to let Mueller die at the end of a rope in two days to pay for his crimes against humanity. And everything the chief said about, you know, hey, these guys don't really know how to properly execute someone by by way of a rope, by way of choking. Sometimes you do dangle there for a couple minutes. The chief's okay with that. And I suspect so are we. <laughs> Carter, meanwhile, overhears Thompson and Sousa talking about what they got out of uh, our homeless man. And... uh Thompson gets personal. He wants to know uh, how did Sousa injure his leg um, and uh, where did he get it? And Sousa explains uh, his femur is where he got it. I really enjoyed that scene because it gave Thompson this opportunity to just have a glimmer of kindness to build his character up in the way I obviously 
didn't know that they were perhaps, you know, building him up to knock him down in a couple of scenes. But I just thought that it was this opportunity for Thompson to drop his his affectation of, you know, the man and and whatnot, a Captain America, if you will, um, and to just kind of say, you know, hey, baloney aside, what happened? But of course, he hasn't earned that. And Sousa, who's been uh, treated unfairly by Thompson, you know, gives him the, the cold shoulder. Back in the lab, Peggy swaps out one button for another. She opens it up and there's a vial of blood. Um, Thompson soon after asks uh, Carter why she works there. He feels that she's trying to harm or trying to hide something. And uh, he winds up uh, hearing from her that she can always come to him for the truth. And this, of course, you know, Thompson's great, uh, great knocking down, you know, him him talking of the natural uh, order of things and how she will never rise above and this and that, the other. And uh, as I mentioned on Twitter, I hope that this is the beginning of something that there will be a payoff in the next four episodes where, you know, she gets him good in one way or another. Back at the Griffith, Mr. Mink watches uh, Peggy go in. She confronts Howard did you get it? And she knows about the vial. Oh, you opened it. It's dangerous. Peggy's angry. She was also curious. And we find out, Matt, what's in the vial. Steve Rogers blood, which uh, had been quite the zinger and then uh, leads to, as I say, my zinger. (laughs) well, leads to Peggy. uh, Peggy proceeds to yell at Howard a lot. And I think deservedly so, because She's been hoodwinked by her supposed partner. Not before she punches him, of course. <laughs> Indeed, uh, a well-earned act. punch. Our final act here begins with Mr. Mink, flower delivery boy. Miss um, Fry uh, thinks he's a suitor, won't allow him to go in, and by the time she's asked him for his name and profession, he's absconded. Um. Peggy is uh, letting Howard have it. He explains that the lies here have had to develop over time, that he grew up on the Lower East Side, that when he came from parents such as his and a background, there was a ceiling, and Peggy can identify with this. Nevertheless, he explains he's sorry and why the blood was so important. Part of Project Rebirth here, one vial went to him, one to the government, and he explains that Steve Rogers can still save millions here. This is a really fantastic, uh, albeit fun, scene where him just recounting th- this notion of being the son of working folks. Um, he mentions his mother, I believe, was a seamstress, which made me think of, uh, you know, kind of the awful conditions of seamstresses, uh, early 1900s and whatnot in in New York. Um, you know, famous the, the Triangle Fire and all of that, where um just real kind of you know working class awful sweatshop conditions that sort of thing and i thought that it was such a well-timed speech almost at the middle of these eight episodes you know here we are maybe eight minutes away from from the the end of this episode in the center of season one um him just kind of i think framing his story and framing her story in that What's the lesson he offers? Sometimes you have to break these rules and keep breaking them in order to break out of these boundaries that uh, that society has placed you in. Um, and uh, 
maybe Peggy's going to learn from that lesson. But of course, she tells him to leave. And with that, we're outside in the, the hall again. And here's the mink man in the hall. And Pete, there had Emerging been, from a vent. Indeed. As, as a mink is oft meant to do. <laughs> Dottie emerges from her apartment. And uh, she wants to know if that pistol is an automatic. I want that. Uh, swirly kick and takes him down and act and act and neck. How about that? Exactly. I love the little acting moment where, I mean, uh, you know, where he's pointed at her and, Ooh, is that an automatic, her head kind of turns and with that kind of like, what is that strange, interesting thing? And that's where it's like, Whoa, it kind of goes off the rails in such a wonderful way. Um, and ends with his, Head separated from, uh, well, maybe not separated from the rest <laughs> of him, but certainly you know, him separated from his mortal coils. And as you say, uh, uh, act break, neck break, it's all broken. Yeah. Our final act here begins with uh, Peggy asking Jarvis if he knew. Um, of course he knew. And he uh, reconnects with Stark at the shine. Where, of course, there is a pretty familiar gentleman. Yes, the the spoken about Stan Lee cameo. Uh, in fact, it was uh, mentioned on the social networks today. Who's the man behind the newspaper? And I think anybody who knows Marvel could look at those uh, those hard-worked hands and say, say ah, that's uh, the grandfather to us all, Stan Lee. Um, who had kind of more than... More screen time than he had in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., maybe not by more than a few seconds, but it was nice that the camera kind of got to linger and he got a little upbeat in the music and it was, you know, yay, Stanley. Before we know it, though, we're back at the SSR and Peggy is dropping off pints of Chinese food. Um, Sousa is uh, going at the photos of the mysterious blonde woman he still hasn't identified and he starts to doodle on them with a pen to make the blonde a brunette i guess he kind of just couldn't visualize that he needed to actually draw it (laughs) or again maybe it's just they need to kind of communicate this to the audience okay fine Dooley has returned explaining what he learned from his nazi colonel about the russian bodies ripped to pieces that the uh, the two Leviathan men must have been working under assumed IDs. However, they have found out that Howard Stark was on a plane leaving that area not long after, and the chief is cons- convinced they have a good old-fashioned conspiracy going here, Matt. And it's a nice opportunity to kind of tighten the story a bit to say, hey, here we are halfway through we're really just going to spend the next four episodes connecting the dots between Leviathan, Stark, this mysterious past, and the future to to which you know we we have a, a fixed point in terms of Stark's name being cleared, so on and so forth. So um, just kind of a nice focusing of of uh, where we've been and where we're headed. Tense ending of the episode here. Peggy returns to apartment, cranks up the radio. Meanwhile, we see some action in apartment 3F where Dottie is. She is readying that pistol that she stole from Mr. Mink, who is now stashed underneath Peggy's bed. Uh, Peggy's putting holes in the wall and she hides 
the sphere in there. And if the episode hadn't ended enough with a, a, a ghastly image of Mink's kind of twisted face, mouth still open, eyes still open, uh, the episode concludes Pete back at the office, duly all by himself in a in a you know in, in an, an otherwise empty office. And Pete, what do we start to hear? The typing. And it was my notes are typewriter ack. I mean, it was just I don't know that they, they they did it in such a way where this thing that we've seen before, um, you know, the typewriter receiving a message, it just it was just spooky and scary and just a wonderful note upon which to end the episode. What lunkheads deserve some time in the joint? This list of baddies will tell us just that, Pete. Our guys in the beginning here uh, are nameless uh, foot soldiers of Mr. Mink. I thought did their job effectively before they had to get rubbed out there. Absolutely. Certainly uh, no strangers to baddies. I did think, Pete, that the one that had a bit more screen time looked slightly like head of Marvel television, Jeff Loeb. And I mean, no disrespect to Mr. Loeb. Um, it just kind of bared a, a passing resemblance to him. But, um, I mean, what, what can you say about these guys other than they were two-bit hoods that got what was coming to them in the end? Mr. Mink was an interesting character, um, you know, trying to track Peggy down, uh, willing to snake through the Griffith there. But I thought effective in that, all right, we're going to show you this guy. We're going to show you that he's into gadgets. And then we're going to commit to killing him only because we're building up Dottie. And we've already put forth the theory that Dottie was the one that took out Krasminski and the witness the week before the episode before. I mean, you mentioned that now. I think it's not even worth uh, not even worth much discussion in uh, in the next segment. I mean, we had wondered, was that a lady who done the deed? And here we have a, a lady capable of such a deed. So it seems to be game, set, match. Um, but I agree with you, Pete. It was great that Mink was kind of presented as like, oh, here's the ba- here's the bad guy in the shadows. Look, he's behind the desk. He's a boss bad guy. He has weird gadgets and this and that and the other. And then just to have him offed, elevated Dottie, who surely is next on, on the list of the lineup, elevated her as, well, if she can kill the boss, then she's superior to the boss. And what does that mean for her? Well, before. Before we get to Dottie, let's talk about our German colonel. Uh, definitely deserves being in the lineup if he's in Nuremberg prison. Yeah, um, you think? And if he's been sentenced to death. Um, so, I mean, no, uh, yeah, I don't mean to be glib. Certainly no, no doubt to the character's, uh, the character's guilt there and, and the reason why he's, uh, why he's in the lineup. Um, I thought it was a good, I mean, it was a good use of a character, though, to move away from the the historical implications of the character um, within his function of this episode. When you have a guy as bad as that, with all that they implied saying, yeah, we're capable of bad things. What I, I, he says, I'm capable of bad things. I've killed men and women and children. That was really awful. He, he implies, I'm sure he, you know, I'm sure he didn't say it word for word like that. That serves to really, um, really 
elevate this mystery of whatever whatever went on um, that he saw but had no part of. And I think that's what's effective by contrast at the end of this episode. You expect the German-speaking colonel to have done bad things. You don't expect that Dottie is going to be capable of, you know, leaping from a flat-footed stance and kicking this guy's face off (laughs) and really being the threat next door to Peggy. I, for one, can't wait to see them square off. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Pete, is there anybody else in the lineup for you? Classified Top Secret. Holy mackerel, time to take a gander with the G-Men. Don't want you to know, Pete, we must start with Dottie, uh, an actress who I assume was cast for her for her height. She was presented as a, uh, the character was anyway, as a ballet dancer. And we got to see those long legs in action as she leaps up, bounces off the wall, um, kills, uh, kills Mink, and um, is all of a sudden the... Uh, the sleeper agent, the girl next door, the person that you can't trust in your own community, you know, kind of shades of modern concerns and whatnot. Uh, what, what do you think about Dottie? I think she's a force to be reckoned with. And the idea that you've got this assassin coming to kill Peggy you know, whose side is Dottie on if she can take this guy out and she wants his gun, but to be next door, to be keeping tabs on Peggy, clearly something's up. Absolutely. She's a great addition. It was a great, uh, it was a great switcheroo i mean i have i have no idea where things are headed with her i don't know if there's some sort of marvel reference there that at least i'm not getting um certainly it serves to kind of uh tighten the story just as the the stark leviathan connection has helped focus things for the second half of this first season and and i will continue to refer to it uh, that way pete because i'm convinced that there at least will be a case for uh, the series to be renewed in limited fashion uh, next year but um her role in that i mean it, i guess it's safe to assume that she is connected to leviathan as well uh, otherwise you know, what role is she playing but uh pete is there anything else classified top secret for you today i have Seuss's leg on here Ooh, go on. And um, the hesitance to share that with Thompson, sure, that could be, you know, chalked up to the aw shucks, not going to talk about my war wound factor. Or is there something more secretive? Is this the result of some other type of injury? Perhaps something to do with... Howard Stark. Ooh, now that is very interesting indeed. You know, I spent a lot of time kind of thinking of the 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 behind the scenes story structure of things, and that sort of reveal would would serve itself well in a second half, um, particularly if it was you know to to kick off maybe the last quarter, you know, end of end of episode six, beginning of episode seven, somewhere in there. Um, 
so the timing kind of makes sense the the personal uh the personal vendetta on his part makes sense um that's a good theory pete certainly something to watch for uh next week and beyond long distance we want you to flap your lips write a telegram or even send us uh the twitter pete what's first well, Matt, uh, one of the preferred and the best ways to uh, let us know how you feel is to leave a uh, review or a comment for us on this future invention called iTunes. And we have a pair of them for tonight's episode. The first was left on January 15th, 2015 from the future. Uh, it is headlined Cooking with Gas, five stars by... Jaheem exclamation point. And it reads, if the Agent Carter radio hour is your first from Fantastic Geek, you should take a gander. Matt and Pete don't stray off topic with lots of gobbledygook. They have a nice format that they've perfected with other podcasts. Check out PG's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast and move right through it with confidence. I have only one beef, and it's that Pete must be in cahoots with Leviathan. Although Pete doesn't spoil much, he always lets us know that he has all kinds of insider information. For example, Pete has already seen unaired episodes. His source or sources are never revealed, but I'm not going to snap my cap. This is the cat's meow. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you, Jaheem. And on the spoiler front, as I've already previewed in this episode, and you can go back and listen, I can't divulge my sources. It just wouldn't allow me to do what I'm able to do. And I can honestly say, listeners, I do not know where Pete gets this stuff from. It's uh, it's part of the magic of it. And uh, well, with that, Pete, did you say that there's a second review? There is. It is. Uh, it was left for us on January 18th. It is headlined "Best in Class." Three exclamation marks. Matt, also five stars. This was left by. Uh, I'm gonna try pronouncing it. It looks like Gallen O One G A U L E N O One. No spaces, and it reads. I listen to all the podcasts that these guys do for the Marvel properties. They're well thought out and amazingly insightful. A must listen for any fans of the show. Thank you, Gowlin01. That is just so wonderful to hear. It's, it's, it, it touches us each time that people reach out, whether it's iTunes or the other, the other ways they can be in touch. Because, you know, it, it takes, that, takes that extra bit of... Uh, thought and care to reach out so uh thank you so much gallon one pete continuing the uh long distance front we had a couple of notes posted to the dot com uh first uh another note by tom sinclair who said guys loving the show and the podcast and i'm look for looking forward to your daredevil work now for my theories angie is working for stark someone left that note for peggy in the automat he's referring to uh agent carter uh, 103 here of course uh, and someone let Stark know that Peggy was there so he could swing by. Dottie is Leviathan and is the person who shot Krizmensky. Had to look up the spelling on IMDb, as I suspect a lot of us did, Tom. Uh, Jarvis's wife is a real person, but we will either never see or hear her. 
uh, and we'll see her at the end of the season. She'll be someone significant in the MCU. Uh, just to put a bug in your ear, recall that the Winter Soldier is operating during this time period for the Soviets, at least in the comics, and Leviathan, in the comics, is the Soviet equivalent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Just saying we may get a glimpse of the Winter Soldier in this series, assuming Sebastian Stan is not yet such a big shot that Marvel can afford to pay to do him some TV. So, Pete, Tom, taking a, a, a wide array of thoughts there. Anything you want to respond to? Wow, I, I just got chided before for, um, you know, not divulging sources on spoilers. I better not touch this one at all. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, super well thought out. Um, thank you, Tom, for sharing that. And uh, what's nice to know is, you know, this cinematic universe really is so connected that you really can't rule out rule out anybody or anything. Um if only the fact that uh, that uh, Nick Fury was in multiple episodes of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. last season. So time will tell. Pete, one more note there in the dot com sent to us by Anonymous. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking, especially fans of uh, the political book, uh, Primary Colors from the 1990s. It's probably not the same Anonymous. Uh, but Anonymous says, I live in Australia, so often I have to find alternative ways of downloading shows. Now, Pete, let me just stop Anonymous's message for a moment, just to, to point out, without wagging a finger, uh, of course, but our our pal, who's helped us out so much, Ian in the UK, Zort70 on Twitter, whose fantastic website, zort.co.uk, uh, is just filled with a bevy of beautiful uh, designs. He somehow watches Agent Carter each week, too, and has things to say, but it's not airing in the UK, so... Seems to me that maybe, uh, you know, maybe people need to get on that in terms of getting it to the rest of the world. But anyhow, back to Anonymous. Anonymous says, I have become addicted to listening to your podcast after each episode. And I'm not sure which I'm going to enjoy more, watching the show or listening to your episode which follows. True story. So if I know you're going to take a little time producing your episodes, I'll wait until they are done before watching uh, the shows. And... Uh, Pete, what's great about this is it, you know, it, Anonymous is referring uh, not just to our, our Agent Carter stuff, but also our uh, forthcoming plans on Daredevil. I think we'll, we'll probably be able to announce what our final plan is in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think we really have a sense of where it's going now. Uh, reminder that people can hit the uh, can still hit the poll on FantasticGeek.com to share your thoughts on how you're going to watch Daredevil and whatnot. But um Pete, after tonight, you realize we're halfway through uh, through Agent Carter, so it's it's not too early to start looking ahead to Daredevil. Well, you're halfway through Agent Carter, Matt. <laughs> Pete, does she die in the end? That's all I <laughs> want to know. Does she die in 1946? No, she's still alive in the Winter Soldier. I know, I know. For, for once, I'm I'm. It is her uh, yeah. life model decoy, though. <gasps> oh man, and Coulson's going to be the Vision. <laughs> With that, Pete, let's talk that personal touch. You are practically a person of glitterati fame. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 5,022 followers. Can't be wrong. Holy mackerel. 
While I am personally on the Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the radio program by being in touch with Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH, and you can be in touch in plenty of ways. You can send an electronic letter to us on the Gmail, post a note on the .com, or tweet us your telegraphs on the Twitter. And Pete, there is, of course, going down to your local bookshop store to do something. I'm still a little confused by this. Yes, the Facebook, Matt. You could check out the Facebook from your local public library. Um, Fantastic Geek has reignited its Facebook page. All new likes in the month of January will be entered into a drawing, which we will uh, have in the next couple days um, on Saturday for the uh, shield comic number one so uh get your like in at facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek that's fantastic with a ph of course and you could take away that first edition comic with the uh the fitz monkey on the cover there fun 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 and probably next week we'll have uh, two other little uh additions to mention uh one in the podcast front and one uh, for those of you looking to give the podcast a hand but the reminder of course as always is fantastic geek is the way to go with that i'll say goodbye good night good luck one and all pete with what wacky words will you close this evening can i borrow your sports section 